this is the Revenkist, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Have you ever wished you could kill off that annoying player quickly and easily? Well, now you can. Cruise on over to Watto's Bargain Basement. You'll find a whole selection of mechanical lethal goodies to stock your starships with. Slice them, dice them, dissolve them, drown them, burn them. All traps feature easy build designs stamped with Java's wretched seal of approval. Kill them all! You know you want to, and for a limited time, first-time visitors to Tatooine will enjoy a 10% savings on their slaughter. Just tell them Halcyon and on and on sent you. Come on down to Tarsha Station, 24-hour, fly-through, pawn and blast, a speeder parts, cyberdeck, and don't give bounty hunter discount Jedi outlet. Coming soon, brand new, limited edition, Order 66, collectible anniversary tunics and a variety of phrases. While you're here, we got Rancor Steaks, Blue Milk, Death Sticks, and Hyper Routes, a wide variety of Twi'lek and Zeltron lingerie, and slightly used fixer-upper spacesuits. You need data pads, bond techs, hookah balls, or jet juice, we got it. More firepower than an Imperial Night Glee Club. So come on in person or see us in our Hall Net data store. We got what you need here at Tarsha Station, 24-hour, fly-through, pawn and blast, a speeder parts, cybernetic, and don't give bounty hunter discount Jedi outlet. Toshi, Toshi, what the legacy needs. Just outside of Anchorhead on Tatooine, off the Karelian run. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. Execute order. 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you by ThinkGeek.com and GoDaddy.com. Also, by the generous contributions of Chris Davis, a.k.a. GRDoc, on the forums. And, as you just heard, guys, welcome back to the Order 66 podcast, episode number 62 Yours for uh, Tuesday, D, uh, April 2nd, 7th. My gosh, I am all screwed up today. I'm just so excited. Anyway, I'm GM Dave, and with me as always, GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? It is I, GM Chris, here with you once again to <clears throat> offer my, uh, uh, I would say apologies, but I'm still laughing too hard over the wonderful, magnanimous April Fool's prank that we pulled on the Gamer Nation. Yeah. Magnanimous <laughs> in some respects. In some respects. Thank you guys for playing along. It was an absolute blast to do. And thank you especially to our kind-hearted co-hosts across the D20 Radio Network who were not in on it. We pulled the wool over their eyes, too. And, <laughs> and some of them were really mad about it. Some were. But you know what? That just shows they care. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> exactly. But it was good fun. But things are a changing, are they not? Things are a changing. All kinds of ways things are a changing. And, oh, but first, we have a special guest. 
Oh, we do have a special guest. We have a uh, a co-chair joining us this evening. Um, a fine gentleman, gamer and blogger of gnomes uh, from Gnome Stew, the very fine Matthew Nagley. What's up, Matt? Hi, guys. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on uh, your podcast. Uh, just uh, chilling with you this evening, and hopefully we'll talk about some good GM and stuff. Heck yeah. I sincerely hope so. And uh, we've got Matt on to discuss the meat of his recent article on Gnome Stew, which we're going to come to. But first... I almost need a new sounder for this. I mean, this is such a big deal. Well, this is this is such a big deal. So, so te- lay it on us. What, what's our first BFD announcement? The first, the first BFD announcement is, well, I would say more along the lines of, um, well, let me just play this as our fanfare, maybe. So, if you can't tell, we got our BMI license today <laughs> for D20 Radio. Which is fantastic. It means that John Williams' music is no longer anathema to us. That's right. This makes, this makes me happy down in the cockles of my heart. Heck yes. So, you're going to hear John Williams. You're going to hear Carrie Underwood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hear all kinds of stuff from a BMI artist anyway for right now, and ASCAP should be coming soon. But, um, yeah, that's a big deal for us, so we can uh, we can start playing like some stuff. It is very awesome. It is part of a massive rehaul that you guys will find if you go to our website at www.d20radio.com, where Dave's web skills, with a big Z at the end, um, has managed to afford us a wonderful new website. Heck yes. And on that website, we have quite a few new offers, do we not? Uh, yeah, we do, kind of, sort of. As you heard off the top of the show, we've got some new sponsors. ThinkGeekGot.com being the first. Love and ThinkGeek. Yeah. So uh, we're going to... That's going to be really, really cool. So um, GoDaddy, of course, has been a sponsor for quite some time. And... Uh, Along with buy.com and, and uh, audible.com, a couple of the others that you know you've heard on the podcast before, but uh, you know, just kind of coming up for, for the first time is Think Geek, and we'd like to thank them for coming on board and uh, sponsoring the show. And uh, we will have links up soon from the homepage and tell you about how you can support D20 Radio. And one of the best ways you can do that is, of course, by listening to the other fine podcasts on the D20 Radio Network. Um, and, of course, uh, Radio Free Homlet, being the, the first uh, podcast, aside from the Order 66 podcast, to join that network, has kind of made us sit up and go Google-eyed recently with uh, one heck of a contest, which they've announced on our forums. I was kind of blown away by this, Dave, um, and, uh, and Tim's generosity. Um, but the DMs want you, Gamer Nation, to design a monster for 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Your best write-up for a beast to curdle the toes of the unwary. And in return for this magnificent effort, the winner of this contest to be decided on May 1st will be rewarded with a paid-for badge to Gen Con, complete 
with a VIG companion tag. All paid for completely by the RFH crew and the magnanimous generosity of the DMs. What do you think about that? Yeah. I am totally stoked. That's an awesome contest. Good it job. Is. It DMs. is. I mean, the VIG companion day. I mean, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm blown away. Absolutely blown away. So. Yep. But there's been a lot of other uh, good cast goodness to hit up there. Uh, I think I think Joe recently had a new cast come up for uh, Meanwhile, did he not? Episode 10, Meanwhile, came up. Um, Fiddleback managed to get 15 and 16 up in the last four or five days for Game On. Fantastic. Yep. And uh, I'm, I'm listening to 16 now, and I find it quite useful. It is quite useful. Finding the, the players that the we don't. Game. That's right. Yes. Um, and I, I just got through listening to Joe's cast, episode 10. He actually managed to score David Pulver of uh, GURPS 4th Edition and uh, Bessem fame, uh, if you're a fan of Big Eyes Small Mouth. Um, yeah. Joy. Uh, Joe, again, I'll say it, said it before, I'll say it again. I'm amazed at your ability to get people on your show. It flips me out. You, I'm, I'm just waiting for, like, you know, Barack Obama to come on your show. <laughs> you're, you're just a phone call away. And, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, uh, real number three of Cinematic Attic has made it up on the intertube as well. Really, uh, about an hour and a half of the animation spectacular. Ooh. Yep, spectacular. The animation spectacular, spectacular with Brev and Jed, and it should be fun. I mean, they're going to go through monsters, aliens, and all kinds of other stuff through the history of animation. Oh, very, very nice. Yeah, it's pretty slick. Excellent. And you guys can find these podcasts, of course, at our website, d20radio.com. And while you're there, you can, of course, click on the link to go to the D20 Radio live vidcast, where a fair number of you are right now uh, responding live as we record this podcast. Heck yes. Absolutely. Now, the swag the swag um, link is still not working, guys. Uh, I'll have it working, hopefully, within the next couple of days. That will lead you to what is going to be now the D20 radio support page. And by what I mean is uh, what I mean by support is user support, not like help desk or anything like that. It's where you guys can help support us because these licenses we're getting for BMI and ASCAP and CSAC, yes indeed, CSAC are not exactly cheap. And so what we'd like for you guys to do is when you guys need to make a purchase through GoDaddy or ThinkGeek or something like that, hit our site Take the link over, and then we get um, we get credit for that, you know, as part of the advertising sponsorship deal, and that would be wonderful. Otherwise, we will have a the don our uh, donation links will be enabled again uh, via that page, and uh, that's also where you will be able to find some of you have commented the D twenty download section is missing, and that is true. That will also be available via that link as well as will our t-shirts and all that good stuff too. So all the ways you can help the network afford all the stuff that we have to do to keep this thing going at the breakneck pace that it is going. And we appreciate 100% of it. Phantasmagoric. So a couple other announcements. We have two new more contests, although they really can't compete with the pure awesomeness that is RFHs. Um, we have one with a really spiffy prize nonetheless, and uh, one with a... A prize much much less so and the first contest <laughs> contest uh, we talked about last week um is is your baby dave so i'm gonna let you talk about it my baby that's right or 66 viral marketing of course we have had zero entrances so i think i'm just gonna cut it off 
we want you to create some kind of ad link. Just draw attention to the Order 66 somewhere, somehow. If you do that and you send us a link of where you did it or send us proof of screenshot or whatever of what you did, then we might win the contest. Now, we we do need, like, some entries. If we get, like, one, that's, you know... Yeah, I figure we need at least Man. at least a good you know ten or twelve to make yeah, it worth. Yeah, at least a good dozen or so. But uh, and as of yet, we have zero. And I was going to cut this off April fifteenth, so you know we got like a week. So if uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say if we don't have anything by the time the next podcast shows up on uh, somewhere around Easter, then so be it. You guys had a chance and you lost it. It would be sad. Well, if somebody does decide to take the chance and do it, what might they win? They uh, might searching? win an updated printing of the core rulebook. They might. Oh, snap. Yeah. But, of course, all of our listeners, apparently, one, they don't listen, and two, they already have the core rulebook with all their errata and everything inside. And they're geniuses. They're all geniuses. So they don't need it. <laughs> well, I've got a contest, um, actually, prop, uh, proffered by one of our listeners um, by the name of High Jedi that we have taken to... Uh, uh, it's proper conclusion. And it is called Name That Chat Room. Um, so thanks to High Jedi's wonderful, wonderful suggestion, we've decided to give our chat room in the Ustream chat a, a physical name, an actual name. And some wonderful uh, ideas have been presented forth. And we have whipped them all together in a forum that you can, uh, a forum thread that you can go and vote on your preferred. Uh, voting will end April 30, 30th. Um, and a winner will be decided. You can change your vote as often as you'd like, but you can only get one vote. And uh, the at, uh, basically on the 1st of May, um, that thread will be locked. And the winner of that particular contest, who has submitted the best title, will get the grand prize of two way to goes and an attaboy from me. Probably in PM mode. So, um, right. you know, if you're a fan of the personal message, I'm, uh, I got you back. Echo Base seems to be the leader in the clubhouse right now. I know, and i got to give big props to Gary Asselford for suggesting that one. Gary Asselford, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm, sounds like the fix is in. I don't think he'll need an updated printing of the core rule book, but that's all right. Oh, wait, that's not the prize. <laughs> nah, never no, mind. No, it's not. It's two way to goes and an attaboy. And honestly, who doesn't want two way to goes and an attaboy from me? Uh, that's right, man. I mean, seriously, it's... it's. Uh... Yeah, okay, whatever you say. You know, if if I'm feeling generous, I might give three way to goes and an attaboy. But I don't know, That's that's a lot of way to go. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. What's the exchange rate between way to goes and attaboys anyway? Oh, in the in the states or in Europe, it's it's a bit different. That's usually why I like to include both forms of currency, you know. Oh yeah, there you go. See. Yeah, you know, because the way to go to attaboy exchange rate, you know, is driving the market economy. You know, quite frankly, I think uh, in the states right now, though, it, it's about um, it's about seven point three way to goes to an attaboy. So an attaboy really is worth a lot more. So you know, I really can't go to two attaboys, but I'm willing to throw in a couple extra way to goes. Really? Oh yes. Well, they're going for a lot more on the auction house on WoW these days. I've heard that. Yeah, but you know, I mean, the economy is you know isn't really what it what it used to be. No, no. But uh, there are some things, Dave, that never change. Oh, yeah. All right. So anyway, two, two way to goes, an attaboy, and a new car! <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. You get access to new music, and all of a sudden you're going postal. I am. <sighs> anyway, did we get anything from Cody this week? Well, of course we did. I walked down to my uh, mailbox, and I got a wonderful postcard. And um, it's a beautiful postcard, uh, filigreed with elegant script, but it has a 
I don't know, a thin sheen of smudge and a kind of a dark residue on it. And imposed over the picture of a, of a gray world, the script reads, Welcome to Ariadu, human. The Coruscant of the Outer Rim. Please remember to keep your aliens on a leash. From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody. Dear GM Dive and GM Chris, Hi fellas. One thing I have to say about the Empire, they've always got me traveling to new places, experiencing new things. This week, my new squad and I are accompanying a very famous Imperial Moff, Grand Moff Tarkin, back home, to his own planet, for a little R&R. We trekked out to the Sezwena Sector and the Ariadu system. Ariadu is a trading port like no other in the Outer Rim. It sits on the intersection of several hyperspace lanes, including the Rimitrade route, the Hidian Way, the Lipsec route, and the Yankirk route. For millennia, the world of Ariadu has been a hub of trade, and a good, proper place for traditionalist human sentiment. The human population there understands the importance of humanity in the galaxy, and the aliens on their world are given proper station, to say the least. You know, some detractors call it slavery, but I say those radicals just don't understand the care with which the average Ariadne gives his indentured aliens. Ariadne itself is a, a simple world, small oceans and a rocky landscape, although, and I do hate to say it, the planet is very polluted. Appearing on mild grey colour from orbit, the oceans and atmosphere of Ariadu are filthy with engine exhaust and industrial waste. There's talk of cleaning up the world, but the undertaking would just be so large. The Planetary Council has wisely decided to focus their efforts on continuing to increase trade. All for the glory of the galaxy, of course. Ariadans are real patriots, let me tell you. If the glorious Grand Morph Tarkin wasn't proof enough, I'll have you know that during the Clone Wars, Ariadu remained steadfastly loyal to the Republic and the Senate, despite the separatist leanings of Sullust and other alien neighbors to the planet. All in all, Ariadu is a bustling place of trade, commerce, and good human relations. So listen, guys, if you're in the mood to do some serious shopping, or get your humanocentric groove on, you've got to check out Ariadu and tell them Tarkin sent you. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend. Commander Cody. Well, sounds like uh, that's going to go the way of the uh, the Hut Worlds to me. That they're just going down the tubes. You think so? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Oh well, yeah, I've never quite been to Ariadu, although um, you know it sounds like I would be you know at least well respected there, but being human and all. Yeah, human and all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who knows? All right, so let's do this. And now, Stormtrooper poetry. Tall, gray, powerful, with an ad at it's never dull. Take out rebel bases, watch the troops die while it paces. Left, right, on it goes, stomp down hard on little foes. Squish, splat, it, uh, oh, oh my, uh, oh, oh, don't feel so, um. Now I think I've heard this before, but... Oh, here it is. Okay. That was a good April Fool's little joke. Sending it at 16, labeling it at 15. Ah, nah, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Okay, so apparently I have two 
Stormtrooper 16s, and here is the one I was supposed to have played. And now, Stormtrooper Poetry. Nice. Very nice. See, it was supposed to be the old one, followed by... Man, you guys suck. Stormtrooper poetry. <laughs> that. <laughs> eh, that's funny. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Fiddleback. See, that was awesome. <laughs> See, that was awesome. But, you know, after all, we are human and... Um, yeah, I see. That's just me not um, me not reading and my doing my my file management system properly. And this this podcast pretty much goes down as the worst show ever. I mean, ever. Well, we have a guest on, so I hope not. But uh... all right, you know, even even for the worst show ever, uh, it's still an honor to be on your show. <laughs> <laughs> the voice of God coming in. Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. You know, somehow I think he was playing an April Fool's joke on us. Oh, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what it was. Dang it. And it worked. See, that'll, that'll teach you to play a random listener thing before you actually listen to it and just trust the label. See? And the funny thing is, it came in labeled 15, and I didn't even catch it because I'm stupid that way, and I'm just, I'm off. I'm off my game. You can tell by listening to this show that I'm way off my game. I'm so freaking excited about having, like, stuff to play aside from stuff. Like the normal stuff. Normal stuff is is okay. Yeah, normal stuff is okay. But you know, I mean, now now that I'm now that I think about it, actually, I'm thinking that if we step into the docking bay, so to speak, that we could theoretically use this for our music for. <laughs> I think that's appropriate. There you go. Why not? Fantastic. Well, what questions do we have from the docking bay, sir? Um, I'm not sure. Keeneth actually has an equipment question on the forums. Okay. Okay. All right. So he says, I'm just trying to figure out what's the point of a light foil. The only mechanical advantage to it over a normal lightsaber is that you can treat it as either small or medium, whichever would be more beneficial. So when would that be beneficial? If you treat it as small, as a small weapon, a small character could use it one-handed. But there's got to be a benefit to that weapon outside of the odd Ewok Jedi, right? That is, after all, the preferred weapon of the Tapani, Tapani nobles. It must have some advantage. Hmm. Okay. Um, for those unaware, uh, Keenath is referring to the light foil uh, on page 65 of the KOTOR campaign guide. 
Um, I'm going to echo our forum community and just add a few thoughts of my own. Uh, first of all, Keenath, the light foil's primary advantage is, as you note, that it's, it's a medium weapon that can be treated as a small weapon whenever that's most beneficial to the wielder. Now, that makes it the only, the only small melee weapon that deals 2 die 8 of damage instead of 2 die 6, which is a big deal for those pesky Ewok Jedi. Um, but be, beyond that, okay, the average user, uh, medium-sized or otherwise, has several advantages for using a small light foil uh, compared to a medium lightsaber. Uh, first of all, it does grant an extra plus five to stealth checks to conceal it. Um, its reflex defense is higher for someone trying to attack it directly. And lastly, as a small weapon, you can use it when you're grappling. And that can't be done with a medium-sized lightsaber. So honestly, Keenath, that's, that's really about it. Dude, a light foil isn't about a mechanical advantage. It's about fluff. The light foils are a very specific weapon created by a very specific group of people in a very specific era. And, you know, honestly, man, in my own game, I'd be really hard-pressed, I mean, really hard-pressed to let my player just have one of these. And I sure as heck wouldn't let them find one out on the open market with just, like, a, you know, knowledge check. Um, it would be a quest reward, okay, even if I'm going that far with it. I mean, I think the only reason it's in the book is to provide one more alternative that fits with the era. And it makes certain canon junkies go poodoo in their jeans, which is kind of nice. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, that sounds good to me. Okay, so Darth uh, Prefect also checks in with a um, conundrum Kay. on the forums here. And he will say, okay, guys, Tereskazi Mastery. As long as you're, all your attacks in a full uh, attack action are made unarmed. You can take a full attack as a standard action. Pretty cool. Yeah. Now, fortune's favor. Whenever you score a critical hit with a ranged or melee weapon, you gain a free standard action. Could the combination of these two talents allow you to essentially make multiple full attack actions in a single round? Uh, fortune's favor doesn't say anything about being usable only once per round or place any limitations on its use whatsoever. With dual weapon mastery and triple attack, you could make as many as four attacks in that first standard action, giving you four chances of rolling 20 to crit. And since <laughs> Fortune Favors only requires you to score a critical hit as opposed to actually rolling a dice and getting a 20, surely spending a destiny point to crit would gain you four new attacks as well. <laughs> I see this being particularly lethal in a fight with the BBEG or, Uster and, or other nasty melee threat, where after the first three attacks, assuming none of them crit, a PC would spend a destiny point for the fourth attack, critting, and then repeating the process until either the BBEG drops or he runs out of destiny. I guess my question here is, is there any limitation to full attacks per round? Since one round is supposed to be six seconds, surely there's a limit to the number of punches a guy can throw. Assuming that a, he can score a critical hit in his first two full attacks, either by rolling 20s or, spilling, or spending two uh, destiny points, our hypothetical martial artist here can throw 12, pound, 12 punches in a six-second round, two punches every second, and he'd still get to move on top of that. How about that? Mm. Wow, Prefect. Um, it's, it's, it's a heck of a thing you noted here. Um, first of all, let's let's note that the Terrascasi Mastery Talent from page 53 of Threats of the Galaxy is available to the Elite Trooper Prestige class, and it does let you perform a full unarmed attack as a standard action instead of a full round action. Fortune's Favor, from page 46 of the Core Rulebook, gives you a free standard action that must be taken before the end of your turn whenever you score a critical hit. Now, Fortune's Favor, in my opinion, is an underutilized talent, and it's easy to get. Now, having said that, 
Terrace Kasi Mastery is not. <laughs> it has three feat prerequisites and a talent prerequisite, and it's only available to a prestige class. This means that you've got to be a 10th level character to even think about picking this up. And then you pretty much got to dedicate yourself completely to martial arts combat to get there. So, could a dedicated Terrace Kasi Master pull off a, a Bruce Lee and fire off 12 kicks or punches in a matter of less than six seconds? I see absolutely no problem with that. You're a 10th level character. You're a Terrace Kasi master. Yeah, I can see you pulling off a Bruce Lee every now and then when you get good luck. Uh, again, you're a Terrace Kasi master. Um, is this legal per raw? Yeah, yeah, it is. Now, having said that, is the ability to spend a destiny point to pull off this little trick legal? Yes, yes it is. Now, should you allow it? I'm of two minds on the subject. Okay, one... It's a fracking destiny point, okay? This is the kind of crazy crap you're supposed to be able to do with a destiny point. It's a destiny point! You're altering the fate of the universe. Um, hey, on the other end, still maybe this is a little too powerful. Um, I don't think any GM would be out of line to say that fortune's favor only works on naturally rolled critical hits, not destiny points. So, an alternative option, but I think you can go either way with it in your game. And if you decide to go with the raw, what an awesome scene that would be in a game. No? Yeah. That'd That'd be be pretty like, cool. Yeah, that would be like totally awesome. I don't know, but what are your thoughts on it? I mean, it's a, it's a you know, it's a, it's a destiny point. I, I mean, I mean, this can lead to some munchkinism, but it's a pretty cool combo and it's very very specialized. Yeah, it is a destiny point though. You know, I mean, not many of us are walking around with like six or seven destiny points. So, uh, unless you're in my one of my games, you punks. <laughs> well, I only you guys have save two. them like candy. Well, I only have two. I mean, seriously. Oh, that's true. That's true. I mean, we well, all... Speaking yeah, of, I guess, other members of my pot. I guess a couple of them, but, you know. Hey, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? But, yeah. So, this is kind of loud. Just dead. All right. Anyway, yeah, we're playing... Uh, we're playing from the New Hope. So, okay. Lastly, TDR Starfish posts up a cry for help on the forums. Okay. After relaying a tough GM decision that led to potential shenanigans in his group, he had several questions to ask relating to elevation in an encounter. By the way, I have one uh, voicemail question for you as well. Oh. Are there any elevation rules out there in one of the current rule books? I didn't find any so far. Two, how do you treat different levels on one map, as in pits, floors, roofs, higher platforms, floating objects, etc.? Do you think it is important to offer these different levels on one map? Absolutely. I personally find it pretty dynamic since we all remember, don't try it, Anakin. I have the higher ground. Zoom, slice, slice. Burn, burn. Plus, my players like to use these opportunities to climb, jump, balance along higher levels. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I, Dave hit it on, Starfish. To answer your first question... Um though the crunchy one, there, there are no elevation mechanics that differ from normal, even level combat in Saga Edition. Uh, those of us that were weaned on 3rd Edition D&D and uh, RCR Star Wars are used to that whole plus one to attack for elevation thing. But in a game where ranged combat reigns supreme, I think the designers made a wise choice to leave any such rule out. But, I mean, just to just use your head a bit. Um, it's easy to see how elevation plays in mechanically. Now, a common ruling, and one that I use myself, is that a, a character with elevation usually has cover from a target below them. But the target below has no cover from the elevated character. Um, that, that makes sense. 
And of course, the vertical distance plays a role for weapon and force power range. Um, as for representing elevation on a map, I find it easiest to just put both the elevated and the ground level areas on the same map, as opposed to multiple maps for different elevations, which some people use, and just mark the elevations with a dry erase marker. An inexpensive solution that I recently used in a home game was actually to print out little chits with numbers on them, and placing those chits on uh, speeder platforms that were continually uh, rising and uh, lowering above the ground. Um, and I added chits to represent the squares above the ground uh, that the speeders were, uh, or below the ground. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I can suggest. Um, as for if it's important to use elevation, again, Dave said it. Y you should know our answer to that, sir. Um, quick re-listen to episode 37. The list should cement you uh, the grave importance I put on, uh, I place on putting elevation into any good encounter map. Right. Yes, 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 yes. And I know we got, um, I know I kind of added it late to the show notes, Dave, but I got one other question uh, from Alucard. Oh, he did. Okay. Go ahead. Um, well, he wrote in, he said, um, uh, GM Chris, uh, in my group, I have two Jedi and a scoundrel. The scoundrel is way out of control as of late. He's doing evil acts. He's gaining information any way he can, like Jack Bauer style from 24, if need be. Uh, since I really can't control him too much, I've been giving the Jedi DSPs because they stand by not stopping these acts when they notice them. They seem to think this is unfair, but I think it is, especially since this campaign takes place during the Clone Wars. Am I being a GM butthole? <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, um, let me take a swipe at this. Please do, sir. Alucard. You're a pussy. You can't control your player. Give me a break. Are you or are you not the freaking GM? <laughs> All right, put a no put a no sold sign, no sale sign in my yard, boy. All right, go ahead with your response. Well, no, I think you kind of hit it on the head there. I mean, uh, you know, saying I can't control my player, yeah, it's a bit much for me. Uh, yeah, sure you can't. You're the freaking GM. You don't got to be a prick about it, but I mean, you can guide him in the right direction if you want to. Um, and the best way to do that, dark side points. So why, sir, are you giving the Jedi dark side points and not the guy doing the evil acts? DSPs are not limited to force users. Right. We can, we can all share in their evil goodness. And if your scoundrel gets evil enough, he'll turn to the dark side too, and he'll lose control of his character. Okay, that's issue number one. Give the DSPs to the scoundrel. There's no reason not to. Issue number two. Is the fact that you are giving DSPs to non-active participants. Is this justifiable? I don't know. Maybe. Um, it's really up to you in the situation. I'm not there. I can't judge it. But my only problem is that that's your first line of defense. Of all the other ways to wrangle the player, why that one? As a first choice? Just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> See, you're nicer than I was. I just went straight to the point. Well, that's why we have you on the show, Dave. Because I'm rude that way. I don't know. Hey, Matt, what about you, man? I mean, do you have any words of wisdom from your years of GMing to wrangle a difficult player? Um, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, he's relying on the old Full Metal Jacket uh, soap on a ro or soap in a sock trick to keep this guy on, on <laughs> in line. Um, but I, I think another good option for him to consider would be that, of course, his characters don't exist in a vacuum. 
And so there are other NPCs, there are authorities, there are people that that, uh, these Jedi and this scoundrel have to deal with. And how long until the Jedi's good friends are going to sit the Jedi down and, and have a talk with them? Or how long until informants won't come to the scoundrel anymore because they know if, if he needs more than they're willing to give, he's just going to put a gun to their head and blow them away. Um, <laughs> you know, would you hang out with this guy? I wouldn't. Uh, so, you know, that's another route he can take to uh, help to wrangle in his player without just applying the GM hammer. Well said. So a more tactful structure of the story. Yeah. I think it's all good, man. That was very well done. Excellent. So you said you had a voicemail, sir? Yeah, I have one from Elias and uh, one from uh, Full On Gamer. We'll do Full Ons first. Oh, dear. Okay. Hi there, Gamer Nation. This is Full On Gamer. And to Avendasaurus' point, let me just put it this way. If I'm standing there on a battlefield with a meter-long piece of 2 by 4 in my hand, and I look to my left and I see some loony with a lightsaber, and I look to my right and I see a Wookiee in a berserk rage with a pair of vibroaxes in his hand, because I have two firing neurons, I'm going after the Wookiee. Just putting it out there. Yeah. I think that was a little uh, uh, forum action carried over into the podcast. It was, and that's perfectly fine with me. <laughs> All right, now here's an actual question from our favorite. If I can interrupt. Yeah, please. Uh, if, if I was between a crazy Jedi and an angry Wookiee, if I had two firing neurons, I would be peeing myself and diving for cover. I wouldn't be taking on either one. <laughs> See, I would agree with that sentiment. Better answer. That's right. <laughs> Discretion is the better part of valor, as they say. Okay, so we have a voicemail from Elias. Okay. Hello, GM Dave and GM Chris. This is Elias Windrider. Uh Thanks for taking my call. Uh, once again, I have a this is more of a comment and a request than a question. Uh, as long as you're doing prestige classes from uh, the Force and Lease campaign guide, I thought it might be nice to take a look at the critical master tree for the, uh, talents for the Elite Trooper, uh, which is in the Force and Lease campaign guide. Uh, until recently, as in the last few days, I thought that uh, extended critical range heavy weapons would have been the most useless feat, uh, most useless talent uh, due to the errata since uh, most of the uh, of the uh, heavy weapons listed in the core book or any book or area effects, uh, with the possible exception of, the, of a heavy repeating blaster, uh, which you can use in burst fire. However, further consideration uh, tells me that it might be possibly the most useful talent for any uh, pilot there is, since vehicle weapons are also heavy weapons. So that goes from, makes the talent go from uh, being pretty useless to highly useful, and I thought uh, maybe there might be other things in this tree that I was missing. So, thanks. Okay, so what do you think for a pilot? 
Oh, it's perfect. I think that's what it was designed for. Um, and for those not aware, um, the, as, as Elias mentions, uh, the critical master talent tree is a new talent tree for the Elite Trooper. It's on page 42 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide. And um, <clears throat> extended critical range heavy weapons is one of the talents in there, which, of course, basically when you're dealing with heavy weapons, you can crit on a 19 to 20. So the thing is, though, a 19 is not an auto hit like a 20. It's just if you hit on rolling a 19, you do crit. Right. And of course, as he mentions, the errata brings up the the um, the fact that when you're critting with an area attack, you don't deal double damage. So since most heavy weapons are area attacks, this is kind of useless unless, of course, you consider starship weapons. Yep. So yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's kind of cool. Yes, yes. So thanks for bringing that to the Gamer Nation's attentions, Elias. Much appreciated, sir. Yep. Okay, so let's suspend some rules real quick. Chancellor, request a motion to suspend the rules. You're gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Sharjah! Motion granted. Alright, so we're gonna call this Serenity should be much less serene. <laughs> Who's the author of this particular house rule? Keenath. Keenath? from Kenya. All right, what, what does Kenath have to say? Okay, so he says, a lot of people don't like Serenity as it's written. It's probably the single most discussed ability in the game. I can see that point myself, given that making an automatic critical hit is one of the uses of a destiny point. Letting a Jedi Master do it pretty much at will is kind of broken. Even that one turn of vulnerability isn't much help since a smart player can probably find a way to have total cover or total concealment before he does it. This is also known as walking around the corner. <laughs> sure, it's a limitation, but I don't think it really makes up for the power of the ability. Some people have suggested treating the natural 20 as an 18 plus 2 rather than an actual 20, so that it isn't an auto hit, but just as likely to hit. And not a critical, so you won't do double damage, won't recover your force powers, etc., it's not a bad suggestion, but my other problem with Serenity is that there's no benefit for meditating more than one round, other than delaying rounds until you want to make the attack. I kind of dislike the Serenity yo-yo of alternate, alternating turns with meditation uh, with attacks. So here's my suggestion, and I'm curious what you guys think. For each round you spend meditating, roll a d20. Keep track of the highest roll you make. When you rise out of meditation, out of, out, of, out of the meditative state, you may choose to roll your attack or use the force check as normal or use the highest roll you made during Serenity. It seems to me that this brings Serenity down from enormous power to merely really good, and it's a situational tool, not a strategy to build a character around. Um, <clears throat> I think it's an interesting optional rule, Keenath. Um, I mean, I, I've I've sounded off about Serenity before, and and I'll say what I've said again. You're a Jedi Master. You're level thirteen at least. 
Uh, this is a powerful ability, but you're a Jedi Master. God. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of where I sit on it. But honestly, if you feel Serenity is overpowered, I think this is an excellent, excellent house roll. And furthermore, it really helps represent the the, the whole idea of you know what? If I meditate for a long time, eventually I'm going to roll a twenty. And you know, I can see. Um, I, I know when he proposited this, he he mentioned the idea, whole idea of Yoda closing his eyes. Uh, and concentrating really hard before lifting the X-Wing out of the muck on Dagobah um, might have been a good example of using this house rule for Serenity. Something to that effect. So I think that's a pretty good fluff and, and good mechanics to keep track of it. So all in all, not a bad house rule. Sure. What do you think? It's it's all right. It seems like it's kind of a big nerf bat to swing. Yes, it is. But uh, to be fair, if there's an ability that would need a nerf bat swinged at it, uh, many would argue it is Serenity. Yeah. I'd like for you to be able to roll a 2d20 and keep the best, you know, something or something like that. I I don't know. I mean, That's you spend one round meditating. What good, you know, what good is that? You know, it it basically knocks it down to the point of you get to roll, you get to re-roll and keep the highest result. Basically is what it turns into. And that's yeah. I mean, that's a big big nerf. Yeah, for a full round. Yeah, that's right. very very true. So, yeah. you know, I don't I don't know. Maybe add I don't know. Ah. I don't. I don't think I like it as much as I've liked other house rules, but that's not saying it's a terrible rule. Oh no, I think it's. I think it's yeah. very good, especially for certain applications. Yeah, yeah, I think so. so too. So, and thank you, Keenath, for sharing it. Now, if you guys have any house rules you would like to put on suspending the rules, or any questions with the D twenty docking bay, you can of course go to the forums at d twenty radiocom forum, and you can become a member of the Gamer Nation, post your mind, become a part of our amazing community, or you can contact us directly. You can email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, or gmdave at d20radio.com, or you can call the Lusa line, Lusa. which is, Dave, what is that? 206-600-5872, or L-U-S-A. Yes. Lusa. So, what do you say? Yes. I say that we, uh, we owe Alex and Trevor... Of fragments from the rim. I say that we do too, boys and girls. We will see you back on the other side. Alex and Trevor, um, fragments from the rim is incoming now. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment 10 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to talk about the Basilisk Wardroid on page 203 of KOTOR, mostly because I just used it in the last adventure we had. This is the personal mount of the Mandalorians, and if you've read the uh, some of the KOTOR series comic books, especially some of the older stuff, there's some really interesting images of these Mandalorians on their war machines racing off to battle uh, during some of the Sith Wars. This particular piece of equipment is something of a glass cannon. It has a very low reflex defense of only 13, 70 hit points, and a damage reduction of 5. Its damage threshold is at least decent at 29, and it does have a very high fly speed of 12 squares, which is really quite useful. It has a ton of firepower. Light laser cannons, which can use auto-fire, 3d10 times 2, and as I discovered, half damage is a huge deal in that case. When you're facing a bunch of PCs, I could almost guarantee doing damage particularly because the attack bonus is only plus four. The missiles are extremely powerful, 70, 10 times two. 
in my particular encounter, I had decided that, that this particular group of Mandalorians had consumed all their missiles. I didn't want my PCs to die. They have the Pulse Wave Cannon, which is an inaccurate, which means you can't use long range, but given the ranges in this game, that's not that big a deal unless you're in spaceship combat. And the extra plus five damage at point-blank range because it's a Pulse Wave weapon is nothing to sneer at. Now, unfortunately, this stat block is missing the damage for its claw melee weapons, so you're going to have to make up something for that. And in addition, it lists uh, space mines. All it has is a plus 5 to attack and 70, 10 times 2 damage. I would expect that maybe there ought to be some more rules for exactly how these space mines work. Are they area of effect? How do you deploy them? And, and so on. Uh, so unfortunately, that part I think is a little bit lacking here. It's listed as a CL6, and I'm not entirely certain. Is that a CL6 for Starfighter scale or for character scale? I happen to think that this is a little bit low, particularly if you look at the special ability listed in the notes. There's a little asterisk. It says, if the Basilisk war droid has a passenger, the passenger may use its attack bonus or skill bonuses instead of those of the droid brain. Basilisk war droids almost always obey the commands of authorized passengers. So in other words, while its attack is only plus four, in the combat I was running, its attack was much higher. Because I had a, a marshal, a Mandalorian marshal was using uh, this machine in combat. And so while it may be listed as a CL6, I suspect that it perhaps should be a little higher. Uh, I found it to be a very useful device, interesting in combat, and uh, made for a, a fairly interesting encounter. Over to you, Trevor. Today I'm going to talk about the scout talent Hidden Attacker, which you can find on page 29 of the KOTOR rulebook. Now, in order to describe this, I'm going to have to describe the original stealth uh, skill, specifically with regards to the snipe application. The way that sniping works is that while hidden, you can attempt to make an attack and immediately rehide where you are. And that costs you a move action for the rehide, so a standard action for the shot, a move action for the rehide, and the rehide is done at a minus 10. With hidden attacker, that hide action is no longer a move action, it's now a swift action. So what that allows you to do is still make your attack, still make the hide, but then you can also move either before the attack or after the attack. So you could withdraw or you could, you could approach. When you couple this with camouflage and various other uh, stout skills and feats and talents, it's a really, really nice ability. Specifically, where I'm thinking about is when you, you're in the outdoor environment, whether it be a forest or a, or a plane or a, or if you're in a warehouse, because you need somewhere that has a lot of cover and a lot of ability to move around. And say you've got someone in a, a tower or bunkered somewhere and you want to get there. Well, this allows you to work your way up to them while hidden, if you keep making the appropriate rolls, and actually get closer and closer to them so that you can ultimately, you know, sneak up behind them and take them out or whatever, which is the kind of thing that you would expect the Ewoks or the, or the uh, Wookiees to do in the various combats that they've had. So it's, it's a really nice ability to allow someone to move closer or farther away, if you want to retreat, from someone while not breaking your hide, assuming that you make that minus 10 snipe roll. Anyways... If you want to talk to us or have any questions or comments, please feel free to email Alex and I at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, keep having fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. There you go.
There you go. Thank you, Alex and Trev. Excellent as always. I'm very guys sorry, are... guys, not having done that for two weeks. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. They always do such a good job. Um, if you guys have any questions for Fragments from the Ram, you can, of course, head over to the uh, Order 66 boards at d20radio.com slash forum and let them know. Absolutely. So now we get to start. Indeed. The meat of the show. <laughs> the meat of the show. Well, Matt, sir, um, Dave and I decided to call this uh, this particular meat uh, uh, Fire Alarm. <laughs> um, as we said, guys, tonight we have with us a very special guest, um, experienced GM, thoughtful writer, and inflammatory blogger, uh, <laughs> Matt Nagley. I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. Sure you do not. Matt is one of the cadre of fine minds over at Gnome Stew, where I confess that I have lurked on occasion. Never, though, prompted to post until the middle of March, for something stirred in the galaxy at that time. Gnome Stew highlighted an article by the aforementioned Matt Nagley with a title. <clears throat> and Dave, would you like to... I'm having trouble reading it. Would you, would you, would you mind reading the, the, the title? For me, please. Uh, yes, the title of said article would be The Concept of a Star Wars RPG Should Die in a Fire by Matthew J. Nagley. Oh. Now, 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 Matt, Matt. To say that I was miffed <laughs> by the title would be an accurate statement, and a statement shared by others, uh, notably uh, co-designer and core rulebook author and Jedi counselor Gary Sarley, who sounded off rather publicly. Um, our own forums were beset by those decrying the vile tawdriness of this angry, non-comprehending article and its vile author. How dare he? What could he be thinking? The blasphemy! The humanity! Uh, so, I went and read the article. And despite the title, which we'll come to, I found it to be a genuinely heartfelt an intelligent blog written about a very common problem that I know many of us have experienced and and <gasps> offered some actual sensible advice on yeah. how to deal with it. Indeed, yes. Now I, 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 I too wanted about. to... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said now I know I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, uh, I too wanted to... Uh, I wanted to be mad and then I read the article and I was like, well, dang... I really wanted to hate it, but I couldn't. You just can't. It's really good advice. And so I, I knew, we, Dave and I talked, we knew we had to get Matt on the show, um, not only to give us the opportunity to publicly razz him horribly about his sensational title, but then to tap his wisdom in regards to the problems right. that he delves into. That is indeed sensationalist journalism. It's like the weather guy coming in, big storms coming in tonight. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we're in Dallas and like, well, there's a couple of spotty showers up near Wichita Falls, and uh, they're coming this direction. What? <laughs> you know. Well, now, I will say, though, as far as sensational journalism goes, I absolutely loved what you did for your April Fool's uh, blog, Matt, um, actually announcing that you were going to be on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't resist. Uh, you know, I just thought you know, I'd stir the, the pot just a little bit more, but uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> 
for those who haven't read, Matt basically uh, posted up a blog announcing that he was going to be on tonight and said um, uh, the Star Wars uh, role-playing community, uh, as represented by the Order 66 podcast, um, has been swayed by my wonderful article and is going to be converting away from the evils of Star Wars role-playing, and we're going to be talking about it. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty creative. Very, yeah, very nice. it was fun. Okay, well, all right, Matt. First of all, welcome. Um, let's talk about canon fanatics and the planet Garflagel. Um, get, go ahead. I mean, just just if you can, because I know not everyone's had a chance to read it yet. And if you guys want to, of course, go to www.gnomestew.com. You can take a look at the blog. Give us a brief overview of your article and also what, what prompted you to write it. Well, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit sensationalist. And uh, before we actually get into discussion, I do want to say uh, the Star Wars community should be very proud of itself. Uh, I was very much expecting to get death threats over <laughs> over the title, and uh, everyone uh, was very polite and uh, was very well thought out in their arguments and uh, did a really good job, so uh, you should all pat yourselves on the back. Uh, uh, basically, the gist of the article was that there are certain settings and I, I used Star Wars as an example because uh, in my experience I, I've had bad experiences with it and it tends to be the one that sees the most of this problem uh, but there are certain settings that uh, attract fanboys who can be basically buttholes about canon and about the way they want things run and it really ruins the game for everyone and, uh, of course, then they don't even get to play it because no one wants to play it. And it's, it's about what you can do if you're the GM, if you're a player, or if you're that guy to, to deal with the issue. Gotcha. Now, and, and this, is, this is an excellent issue. And it's one that, in terms of Star Wars role-playing, I mean, I know all, all of us can probably attest we've encountered it at one point in time. Um, so, Okay. In fact, Vader's son says he is that guy. <laughs> I, I've gamed with Duncan, and I would, I would uh, agree. I would yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You've told me that, but you know, you don't have to call him out on the podcast, dude. <laughs> okay, so Matt, let's talk about because I want to get out of the way now. Let's talk about the title. Why the title? Were you intending to stir the cauldron? And to be fair, it it it, it did result on you now being broadcast to a couple thousand people who will no doubt go visit Gnome Stew after this. Um, yeah, definitely <laughs> I was looking for a title that both would get a lot of excitement and would, would make people run to forums and say, oh my god, I can't believe what this guy wrote. You're going to have to go and see this and let's, you know, let's all yell about it. But in addition, I wanted to convey the seriousness of, of the problem and the seriousness of my feelings towards it because I, I was taught uh... and that's what happens when you have Skype uh -oh. on a live uh -oh. broadcast right there see <laughs> freaking Skype oh is there a problem there he is he's back that's uh, okay you cut out for just a little bit man it's alright all right, where was I? Uh, you were telling us um, about the title and, and why you said it was it it was important to you because it it, it illustrated something. Oh, 
it, in addition to being sensationalist and drawing people to the website and drawing people to controversy, uh, I, I wanted to convey both the, the magnitude of the problem because it can be a really big problem and yes. it can ruin the the game for everybody at the table permanently. And I, I wanted to convey you know, how strong my feelings were because I was... Uh, I was commenting on another one of our articles about a theoretical Star Wars game that uh, involved some Jedis falling to the dark side and being redeemed and yada, yada, yada. And I thought, this sounds so awesome. This sounds like so much fun. Why do I never want to play Star Wars? Why do I hate it so much if this sounds like so much fun? And I sat down and I thought about it and I realized this was why I hate Star Wars so much. And it's really not a Star Wars problem. It isn't at all. And so the sensationalist title was, you know, this is how upset I am about it, but it really isn't Star Wars' fault. And and I'm sure that's the first thing everybody said in the comments was this isn't Star Wars. This isn't Star Wars. This is people <laughs> being buttholes. So, you know, you, you were all 100% correct. It's not Star Wars. Well, it certainly it, it got people's attention, and that was the point. But again, you come to it, you bring up the real problem. So, okay, so, so this really isn't a problem with Star Wars, but it's a problem often experienced in Star Wars. Um, well, not I mean, only that. Article, I'm sorry? And not, only, not only Star Wars, but other established things as well, you run into that problem. Yeah, I mean, it, pretty much any any type of established IP. I mean, I mean, there's, I mean in your article, you mentioned Dragonlance as, as a big culprit in the D&D world. Yes. Uh, aside from Star Wars, I mean, what other in your experience? Where else have you seen this problem most often? Um, I personally have only seen it in Star Wars, but you know, my experience isn't all inclusive. Uh, if you look at the comment threads, there are people saying, "I've had this problem in Greyhawk. I've had this problem in Forgotten Realms. I've had this problem in World of Darkness." There was even a guy who came, who said. I had this problem in some guy's homebrewed world, and he had binders and binders of documentation and backstory on his homebrew world, and he expected me to read it, and I wasn't going to. Huh. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, really, um, uh, I think it was uh, Sarley brought up that, uh, you know, to some extent, you can even classify rules lawyers under the same umbrella. They're just fanboys for uh, crunch, not fanboys for setting. And he's, he's absolutely right. It's the same general kind of asshattery. It's just <laughs> directed uh, to a different subject. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Now, now, we talk about both. Of the, you said that this could be a problem with GMs as well as a problem with players. Okay, um, where do you see it being the bigger issue, or where do you see it being more prevalent? Um, I think the the problem is going to be that uh, whenever you have this guy, he's going to eventually become the GM because nobody wants to nobody wants to play him in his particular genre setting, whatever, because. How would you like being the GM and having some guy constantly giving you a bunch of garbage over everything you do and you can't do this, this is wrong, this violates canon, 
I mean, eventually you're just going to say, you know what, let's, let's find some other game to play. Well, so that who's the guy that's going to run Star Wars? It's this guy. You know, and right. in, in my group, uh, there is you know, just a couple people that will run Star Wars anymore because you know, they uh, got sick of shenanigans like this. So uh, I think you will have DMs primarily with this problem, but they start as players. Right. That so makes- once they get to be GMs, though, don't you then run into the whole problem of, you know, here's your setting and your goals. Um, you're on Garflagel, and that's it. Then that's what that's what that player becomes as a GM. Um, in my experience, yes, uh, because to them, you know, you're on Garflagel has six novellas behind it. Right. And you know, I I remember once when I was in college, I was playing Star Wars with with a friend of mine, and uh, I made some kind of comment about Grand Grand Moff Tarkin. And oh, my God, oh, you would have boy. thought <laughs> you would have thought that I punched him in the face because <laughs> how do you not know that it's Grand Moff Tarkin, not Grand Moff Tarkin? And you know, ten minutes later, he's telling me that I can't make lightsaber vring vring noises properly, oh. and you know, it's <laughs> and you don't ever play with him again. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> See, I mean, those uh, those those are the bad apples that spoil the whole bunch for us. And even though this podcast has been very disjointed and weird, I I promise we we'll get better. And so you should come back on the show again, most definitely. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so we we obviously this is a problem with a player that that can then become a GM. Um, is there any hope for an individual that is not the canon junkie? who wants to GM a game and doesn't want to deal with the constant, um, you know, uh, asshattery, the, the, the nickering, the bickering, the second guessing from their players. Uh, what can, a, what can, what can it, what is it, what is a GM to do if he's in this pickle, if he's experienced this, experiencing this kind of problem from his players. And then we can, we can talk about the reverse scenario. Well, um, this is, this is definitely something that there is a cure for and that there's a way to work around. You know, like I said in my article, do not give up Star Wars just because you've got a problem player in your game or a problem GM in your stable. Um, if you're the GM and you've got a player who's giving you a hard time, you know, part of that is about your expectations of the game. And if you just you should just be able to sit down and say to them, I am not playing canon Star Wars. I am playing, uh, you know, and and some of the uh, commenters on the article gave excellent examples. They said, well, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, there's a 3,000 stretch of time that has no canon. Right. And so, you know, you say, my game is set there. Or you just say, you know, listen, I'm not interested in in the interests interests I can't say that word the fine details of <laughs> of the canon uh, or this particular little nit to pick you know I'm just interested in running a fun game and if they can't handle that uh, then perhaps you know if you're if you can't handle that as a player you're really dealing with a problem player that's bigger than this issue and maybe they need to be let go from your group even um, Although there are other 
good solutions, I'm sure. I just have to find them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm flipping through. I printed out the, the whole article in comments is like 32 pages long. One thing that struck me is that you mentioned in the article is, is, is using the Uber Geek. Yes. Thank you. It completely went over my head. Um, yeah. I mean, if you've got someone at your table who's an absolute you know, an expert on the subject and they want to contribute and they want to, to share, there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't use them as a resource. And when you're planning out your game, you know, say you can always write them an email or call them and say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? What do you know about this world? What do you know? And, and help that help let that help shape your game help make you, you know, present a better setting but of course they also have to understand that there's a time and a place and when you ask for advice d before your game that's the right time and place when you're sitting there and you're in the middle of a game and and they want to tell you that the mm. you know time travel t time between this planet and this planet isn't five days it's really eight days that's not the right time um, so, you know, as long as they know they're appreciated and can contribute at the right time, that's a fantastic resource that every, every GM should make use of. I, I agree completely. Yeah, me now, too. Go ahead, Dave. No, I said, yeah, me too. If you've got that resource well, at your disposal, you might as well use it. Absolutely. Now, here's, here's, I guess, the opposite side of it. So let's say you're, you're GMing a game. And you want to avoid this problem. And so you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to find the Uber geek in my group and I'm going to go to him beforehand. But you think about your players and you realize that none of them are the Uber geeks. You really don't have any Uber geeks in your group. Guess um, what? <laughs> <laughs> you're the Uber geek! <laughs> so, okay, let, let's say you realize that you're a serious uh, Star Wars junkie. You're a canon fanatic. You're a funky monkey. And you want to avoid... Uh, hurting your player's experience inadvertently. Obviously, no one does it intentionally. What can you do as a GM to ensure that you don't bog down your players with uh, the the unnecessary uh, details or, or, or serious asshattery? Well, I, I think that's uh, a matter of listening to what your players want. Uh, you know, if, if they say, I want to play a certain character concept you know i want to play an ewok jedi you were talking about those a little while ago uh the the proper response to that is not to explain to them why ewok jedi cannot exist at this period in the in the star wars history uh you know that ruins their fun game they, they wanted to play an ewok jedi uh the response is okay let's see how we can make that work and you know as the uber geek as a gm there's levels and levels of detail that you can bring to your game and you know if you want to talk somebody used the, an example in, in the responses they said uh, Coruscant and they they gave this wonderful little blurb that they knew about Coruscant uh, to enhance their game and that's fantastic you know use your knowledge but don't limit your players because the way they want to play isn't what you have in mind and that's just a general good GMing tip, but sometimes when we get so impassioned about the way we want our games to run, the way we want our settings to be, the, the way we want our plot to unfold, we forget that. I know I have. Uh, that makes good sense. Um, I, I, honestly, it's, it's tough to admit, but 
I, I think I'm a, I might, might be a tad bit guilty of that myself. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Dave can probably attest. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you are the ultimate resource knowledge bank, but you don't rub it in our face either. I try not to. Right. Um, but one of the things I, I like to do, and I try to do at least, um, and one of the good points you bring up uh, later earlier down your later down your article, Matt, is is communication. Um, you know, even if you have this knowledge, be sure to communicate it accurately with your players. Don't assume that they know everything. Um, you know, so when I send my PCs off somewhere, I make sure that they have the time, usually in game, to 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 find out or know what's going on with wherever it is they're going. Yeah. Um, yes, and. Uh... GM Sarley actually uh, made a really good point. Uh, he went on at length uh, explaining the, that uh, in the official rule books for every planet, for example, uh, there is a stat block write-up and with a DC knowledge check of this much, you know this about it and a DC of this much, you know this about it. And that's an excellent uh, tip on how to share your uber geek knowledge with your players you know they say well what about garfloggle and you say well okay make a knowledge you know planets check and you can have a little bulleted list written up in it all ready to go when they get a 15 you say oh okay you know this you know this and uh as he also pointed out it's a good tool to stop the uber geek if he's a player <laughs> and he starts giving you a bunch of bunch of crap just you know okay make your knowledge roll oh look at that you rolled a two you don't know anything about this planet <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know Dave what do you think uh, does our group uh, do an okay job of reining in uh, uh, metagame knowledge um, yeah usually we catch ourselves doing it and have a good laugh over it right <laughs> And that that that's usually the case. I thought I think that we, well, one we don't have um, what would you say we don't have any that are super seasoned players. I guess I've been playing the system about as long as well. I mean, since it came out, but I mean previous to that, yeah, I've been playing I mean, the system like, longer. Brev is a is very knowledgeable in terms of EU. Yeah, but. yeah. So he's got the EU stuff. I've been playing the game a long time, and then the rest are, are still fairly are fairly new either to the game or to uh, well to the game. You know, yeah. TG has been playing role playing for for quite some time. Cat's pretty new. I think uh, Booter is is fairly new as well. So, yes, he is. And of course, so. Jake Jake was the only one who was min really min maxing anyway. And <laughs> and now he's see karma. The karma train hit him, and he had to move. So, oh really? Okay, okay. Well, I was, you're, you're gonna get a nasty email from him. Don't I you? bet I will. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll, I'll I'll bet you will too. But I, I got to agree with you, Matt. I think I think uh, Sarley was right on. I think the they call it the the gazetteer, the galactic gazetteer. Is they they put it in each and every single source book they release with the planets, with the DC for the knowledge for every single one of them, and that's one of the most useful resources, right? Um, for for dealing with this player knowledge. So, I think I think that's that's fantastic. But. I guess to kind of bring it all to a conclusion, man, it sounds like what you're talking about is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is realistic expectations, good communication, and ultimately combining those two to upfront and during the game have a, a solid understanding of, of what everyone wants to do and, and the, the commitment to have a good time with it. And, you know, when you have those things, you know, you can tend to, to easily overcome any obstacles you may have in this regard. Uh, I think you are dead on. 
uh, not only does it solve this problem, but good communication and, and well-managed expectations solve a host of, of GMing <laughs> and, and role-playing problems. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, all you need to do, really, unless your players or your GM are trying to be a pain in the butt, is sit down, talk about what you want, communicate your, your desires clearly, and try to come to a mutual area where you can all agree. Excellent advice, sir. Excellent advice from an excellent GM. That's right. So, If you guys want to check out his fine work, as, along with all the rest of your cohorts over there on that Gnome Stew, check it out. www.gnomestew.com That's G-N-O-M-E-S-T-E-W.com And uh, it, it, it is a site for GMs by GMs, and just has a bunch of great gaming advice, even if their titles are somewhat sensationalist in nature. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say our titles are sensationalist in nature. <laughs> that, that was just me. Okay, <laughs> I one. Wanna, I don't want to accuse anybody else of that. <laughs> one title in particular was sensationalist in nature. Well, titles or no, I found Gnome Stew will blow your mind with gaming goodness. So. Uh... Check it out, Gamer Nation. It is a good, good resource. Heck yeah. So you going to stick around for our post-show? Our post-show is a uh, wonderful conglomeration of all kinds of stuff that's not Star Wars. It's just basically... Um, Everything else. Yeah, it's just it's, it's absolute random thoughts. Uh, I have nothing better to do. This well. is a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. All right. Well, that's just I'm fantastic. E I'm even enjoying the Star Wars segments that are going right over my head. They're entertaining to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, uh, then I guess that's that's pretty much it. Um, before we move on, so it's it's time. Yes, that means it's the end of another show. It's sad. We want, we want to thank Mr. Matt Nagley for taking the time to come on our fine podcast and uh, share with us his wisdom. Absolutely, I we want, do. I want to thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And to, to the Gamer Nation, I want to say thank you for listening. Look forward to talking to you next week. And this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. That's right, and I want to thank our sponsors, thinkgeek.com and godaddy.com, along with audible.com and Chris Davis for making this show possible. And for Mr. Nagley and GM Chris, this is GM Dave saying keep them dice a-rollin'. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast.
And so that'll be the new way to introduce <laughs> daydreaming. Absolutely fantastic. That's Absolutely. one of my favorite little songs, and now ha, I can play it. You can play it. And I have punishment for Danieros, who tried to Skype me in the middle of the uh, podcast. Thankfully, I had my microphone muted. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Otherwise, we would have gotten that blink, blink. <laughs> so, Danieros, your punishment, youngling, is uh, 40 laps right now. Go. 40 laps. Yes, go and return. Go. Wow. Go, come back it's it's yes 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 so okay are we having a cast next sunday because i know you know it's easter sunday it's easter sunday and i'm thinking that we're not going to have a cast i'm thinking we're not going to have a cast either i think it's entirely reasonable to say we're going to have one uh, maybe you know tuesday or wednesday following yeah it's entirely possible we're not going to make any absolute promises but um you know yeah but, that's what yeah. you know we'll, we'll get a new we'll get episode 63 up whenever we get it up that sounded nasty, but it wasn't, obviously. But, you know, hey. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you, you, you going to do? Anyway. All right. So, I just got back from Las Vegas. Yeah, you punk. You've heard this story, but I'm going to tell it to the Gamer Nation because there is a person that, theoretically, I must now take off my list. Theoretically. Because you're supposed to, you know, your list, right? Once you've met the person, actually met and had a conversation with the person, you can no longer have them on the list. Isn't that the rule? Uh, supposedly, yes. Right. So, I met Carrie Underwood. Uh... At the Country Music Awards, I uh, was fortunate enough to have a friend um, who has a, uh, has a very good job with Coca-Cola and, and Dr. Pepper. Um and was able to uh, to allow us to attend the uh, the sponsors party, the after party uh, with the sponsors, and uh, met a whole host of individuals. Um, um, Carrie Underwood, of course, being the highlight for me. My wife, uh, Kenny Chesney, was the highlight for her. And uh, Kenny Chesney is too short; otherwise, uh, otherwise she would probably be uh, he would probably be on her list. So there's no there's no uh, you know Rascal Flats did not show up. So therefore, she didn't have to take Gary off the list. Gary, how how, how was the country music award? So I'm not, I'm not I'm not that big of a fan of country music, so I, I I I'm aware of some of these names and what they mean, but I I'm not too terribly familiar with the significance. How so? How how was the country music awards? The uh, the CMAs were very very good. Um, Trace Adkins uh, gave us the most memorable um, performance of the night. I think when. Uh, he uh he sang a song accompanied by, I'm sorry, he yeah Trace Atkins. He's a very large individual. Is there's a man named Tracy Atkins? Trace T R A C E Trace, not Tracy. Yeah, like, he's the guy that invented the diet, right? <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I know who Trace Atkins is. I'm just giving you help. I know. Yeah, he's a six foot six guy with a uh, with a giant uh, ponytail, and um, anyway, very big guy. Anyway, he he sang a song accompanied by the uh, West Point cadets that make up like their honor choir or something along those lines, and was introduced by a lieutenant of the Marine Corps, and I forget his name. I wrote it down. And I forgot it. Um, who had lost his legs in in uh, in uh, on in duty. Um, and um, he, the the guy got a tremendous ovation. And then after the show, um, or after they went to commercial, um, the guy got another good minute and a half ovation uh, as they were as they were cleaning up the stage and and getting ready for the next act. 
but uh, yeah, it was uh, kind of seeing that stuff as they as they do the show and changing the the scenery and and the stuff that they do behind the scenes is simply amazing. They, you know, they they did have one little audio meltdown while Sugarland was uh, was on stage, but um, it uh, you know I mean it's live, it's a live show. I mean, heck, we had five audio meltdowns in the last hour. <laughs> you know, in our little live show here, so <laughs> you know, I'll certainly forgive the one. The one, uh, the one episode, but uh, I do want to send a, uh, I want to send a shout out to uh, to Heather Blankenship, who is a, uh, a radio personality on. Oh, I mean, she's gonna kill me too. I think it's K O C R. Oh, dang it! It's a country Cocker? station out of Houston, huh? Cocker. Oh, come on. Okay, you said K. It's K O C R. Was those are the call letters of her yeah. radio station in Houston? But they call the radio station Cocker. I'm not sure. I honestly don't know. Anyway, she is going to be our guest for the inaugural edition of Geekapalooza this week, and we're going to talk about the CMAs, and she's got some extremely hot sports opinions about some of the people who performed at said event. Ah. And uh, she also was at the uh, the same after party that I went to, so um, it was uh, it was very, very much a an amazing night, um, and that uh, Taylor Swift also was at that after party, and she is about the cutest person on the planet. I swear, she's like 19 years old and just cute as a button. Mm. Taylor Swift. <laughs> okay, so so enough about country music. How how was <sighs> Vegas? Did you did you did you go did you go nuts and uh, lose your house? No, I didn't lose the house. Um, we quite frankly were so busy, I barely got to gamble at all. Yeah, but you know, the, to be you know that bit being said, the gambling I did do was horrible. I uh, yeah. I couldn't. I could not roll. Worth a damn. The bones were horrible to me. I know that. I've I've played uh, RPGs with you. Holy but. cow, dude! I mean, it's like, you know, point, combat seven. Just I mean, you're absolutely the worst thing in in the history of the world. I I did hit a twenty five dollar yo though when I all of a sudden this guy next to me was rolling like a fiend. And I threw out a twenty five dollar yo and he hit, but that wow. was the only one little smidgen of gambling that actually worked out for me and I lost all that money in relatively short order. So yeah, uh, but anyway, you know, Vegas is Vegas. Vegas is great. You know, we did a lot. My cousin got married at the grand, uh, MGM grand and, uh, you know, hung out at the MGM grand, smoked a cigar in the bar, you know, weekend, right? That's yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good weekend. You know, it wasn't that bad. I, you know, Vegas is bad. Vegas. I mean, and there's other places I'd rather go obviously than Las Vegas, but, not too many. What about you, Matt? You ever been to Vegas? Oh, uh, no. I, I got a bunch of friends that go there all the time, but uh, I'm more of a sitting-on-my-couch kind of guy. Ah, yes. I find I become more of a sitting-on-the-couch kind of guy as I uh, progress through life. My youth of wild, crazy RPG parties is given way <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, stayed bi-weekly games. You know, what's become of me? Ah. Yeah, no, no more all-night RPG parties for us. We're getting old. Okay, do you remember? I mean, my God, do you remember when you were young and in college and you would game for 12 hours straight? I mean, yep. ah, I, I can't even fathom doing that anymore. It just occurred to me I'm an old fart. I can't even fathom gaming <laughs> like that. Yeah, I remember friends coming over, and, you know, Right, right after lunch, and all of a sudden we'd look up and it'd be midnight, and it's like, wow. Well, 
We better finish uh, next uh, couple hours <laughs> so we get, can get up in the morning. Right. <sighs> yep. That's just... Uh. Now it's the threat of divorce that hangs over you uh, married gamers that are out there till 2 and 3 in the morning. <laughs> I'm lucky my wife games with me. Yeah, you are the lucky one. Ah. Yeah, I hear that. I uh, I met my wife at college, and uh, she she thought uh, RPGs were evil and satanic, and oh, that I was boy. some <laughs> creepy, weird Satanist. And she came over to my dorm room for uh, computer help one day, and she saw the monster manual sitting there, and she's flipping through, and she sees all the you know chick monsters, you know, like the Quaddles and the Lindies, and she's there like, so in your game, can I play this? Oh, can I boy. play this? And had I known then what I knew now as a GM, I'd say, yeah, sure, you know, new player, you can play whatever you want. Instead, I'm there like, no, here, try a ranger. <laughs> but sure enough, she got hooked, and uh, she plays with us every week. She's been DMing our, our uh, weekly games for quite a while. Dude. That's great. You got to have the convert. Yeah, every time I get the whole, you know, oh, it's just evil, it's, it's, it's satanic, I always bring up the... Um, the uh, I think Eight Bit Theater did the best version of it with the, uh, uh, the you know I cast magic missile you know that skit, um, yeah. <laughs> and that usually tends Whoa. to uh, oh Hello. somebody's coughing back there. And either that or you're getting you're uh, you know all of a sudden somebody will start you know you start talking about oh that's satanic and all that and you can just. Ring of fire. Oh, wait, you know, ring of fire. Right. <laughs> All right. Actually, I can do this. Ring of fire. <laughs> there you go. Do, do you see, do you see, Matt, the Pratt Falls of having a soundboard at your beck and call? Um, no, because I lost you for about 30 seconds. Oh. And then I, I heard everything in one <laughs> ring of fire. So I'm not sure what just went on. <laughs> See, that was it. That was see. That's Skype gacking right there. So it, it is. It nah, is. don't worry about it. <laughs> it's because Mel's over there uh, running an instance. Ah, there you are. Ah. How did Cat know that I was drinking Mountain Dew? I mean, could she actually see it? Yeah, you can see it on the camera. It's easy. Really? Actually, no. She's making a reference to the skit. The uh, you know. I cast magic missile. Where's the Cheetos? Do you have any Mountain Dew? Yeah. Exactly. The fact that you are drinking Mountain Dew is a faux pas and a Freudian slip, the likes of which you have no clue. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. If there's any girls there, I want to do them. Oh. I think that's an ender. <laughs> Probably. Yes, indeed. All right. Well... Hey, um, you know what, uh, Matt? I I just want to say again, thank you for coming on the show and uh, uh, making your voice heard pleasure. out there in the gamer nation. We'd uh, we'd love for you to join the forum and expound on some of your wisdom. We talk D and D on the on the boards as well. We have several podcasts, and um, you know we'd certainly love to make you part of the community. I'm sure so many of our members are going to be going on over to your uh, site as well, and we look forward well, to uh, keeping it going. I hope uh, a lot of our readers are coming over to your site too uh, to see the podcast and to just generally hang out and join your community. You know, you guys seem to have a pretty tight ship. You know, 
audio issues notwithstanding. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh, bird! See, there you go. <laughs> hey, you know what? I couldn't have run it as well as you did. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a through the inner tubes imaginary fist bump right now, Matt. <laughs> there you go. In fact, um, Gnome Stew's April first uh, Gnome Stew song. Yeah, that was me. And uh, we got one total comment on it saying how much it sucked. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm really in no position to be talking. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> well, for all of you out there, if you haven't, go over to Gnome Stew. It's a fantastic resource. And um, I think there's a, a bed with my name on it, Dave. So All right, very it's, well. It's late, and I'm going to call it quits. Matt, thanks again for coming on, man. We really appreciate talking to you. Thank you. Have a good night, guys. All righty. Take care, guys. And uh, Gamer Nation, thank you very much for allowing us to invade your personal space. You guys stay hard. Keep jamming. And we'll see ya.